Welcome to episode 61 of Central Intelligence Cinema, and happy 2024. Today we are back to kick off the new year with another Brush Pass review, this time of Val Kilmer's feature acting debut in the 1984 comedy spy movie, Top Secret. But without further ado, take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Natasha Romanoff. You can not. Felix Leiter. Elsa Faust. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! Special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Recording from an undisclosed location somewhere near them kids are skate surfing. It's a Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC, the spy movie podcast that is indeed going skeet surfing. Skeet surfing. Go skeet surfing. Skeet surfing. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back uh, with another Brush Pass review, and this is truly some silly, silly spy shit. It is literally the definition, <laughs> the the physical embodiment of everything that this podcast is. Yes, indeed. We are we are here to talk about top secret, and if it doesn't, it really doesn't get any more silly and spy-y. I mean, <laughs> Spies just... Like Us is a magnum opus compared to this film. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think Top Secret is a is quite possibly the best visual gag movie. Just beyond Spies, this is one of the best visual sight gag movies I have ever watched. I don't know. I would have to say that you could definitely put Airplane up there, but considering right. they're both from the same They're both group from of the people, Sucker Brothers. Yeah. I mean I mean you're getting what you pay for. Exactly. But uh yeah. We are back with one of our brush pass reviews, this time of Top Secret. And uh <laughs> we will try and take you through this ridiculous ridiculous movie i mean if if our listeners have watched this movie half as many times as i have it's all genetically programmed into your long-term memory at that's this right point. exactly so if we've forgotten anything just fill in the blanks on your own indeed indeed well should we get into this sucker please <laughs> okay top secret released in 1984 just for reference octopussy was released the year before this written and directed by jim abrams along with the zucker brothers david and jerry the trio is most famous for creating airplane police squad the naked gun movies basketball and scary movies three through five but not one and two not one and two although they were clearly ripped off yes for sure well you know they got the money to do three through five and they were like well if we got this kind of money now 
let's bring in the real guys to do it. Right, right, right. Martin Burke also has a writing credit as well. Uh, he did a lot of TV movies mostly. From Wikipedia, I found that key portions of Top Secret are actually parodies of something called the Conspirators, including the uh, the street scene with the novelty vendor. So I've never actually even seen the Conspirators. I have never seen it, but this is not unusual. Airplane was basically a parody of a 1950s uh, war movie. Basically, I, I wouldn't really? say it's a war movie, but most of the themes that are in Airplane uh-huh. are based off of an actual movie, which I cannot remember at this point. See, in time. I thought it was Fahrenheit. No, uh, whatever that whatever that airplane movie was, the Fahrenheit movie or whatever. No, no, no. So it literally follows the almost exact same flight or the exact same plot, right? Uh-huh. It, it's about an ex-combat vet who's on an airplane that's crashing. There's even, you could see it on YouTube. There's comparisons of the scene where Robert Hayes <laughs> is talking to Leslie Nielsen in the cockpit. Right. And the dialogue is almost word for word, except where they put the jokes in. <laughs> <laughs> the the Zuckers liked this movie so much that they inevitably ended up securing the rights to it wow. so they could show it during art house filmings of Airplane so people could see both things. Wow. So it doesn't surprise me that Top Secret was probably some very obscure spy movie that they both liked and, and they built they, on. Yeah. But there's other references in this movie as well. I oh, mean, so many. You know, so many. Like, uh, there's a, The Great Escape is in there. Yeah. Obviously, every train fight you've ever seen and every spy movie is in there. <laughs> right. It's something else, man. Photography-wise, cinematography was by uh, Christopher Chalice, who worked on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Catch Me a Spy, and The Deep, among a long list of movies dating back to the 40s. In fact, Top Secret was his second-to-last film. Production, We man, we have got so much crossover in this movie between production and acting talent and everything else between Bond, Star Wars, and Indy in in Top Secret. It's crazy. Production design was by Michael and Peter Lamont, who have done everything I just said. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Bond, they've done it all. Which is probably the reason why this movie works so well visually. It's just all of these different sight gags and, and how well they're designed. And really, I feel like it's, you know... We were talking earlier about how they actually came in under budget on putting this thing together, and it just shows how scrappy they must have been as far as as putting some of these goofy scenes together and just sort of making do with whatever they whatever yeah. they can. Well, one got the impression that there weren't a whole lot of takes going on. Oh no, it was like first take and then we're we're moving on, right? Other than the sight gags, and actually on some of the sight gags, they probably had to limit what they were doing with some of the effects that were going on yeah. in the middle of it. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it doesn't feel like an eight million dollar movie. No, no. It doesn't feel like a movie that saved a million on its budget and came in at $7 million. It really feels like a $500,000 shoot on the fly kind of movie, which gives it a little bit of its charm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's got like a fun, almost indie vibe. You know, if if it didn't have Val Kilmer splashed across the front of it, you know. You would just assume this is some weird indie comedy that Kevin Smith could have put together. Or like something that was like a branch offshoot of a Python film. Right. You know? Yeah. But it added to its charm. I think a level of slickness in this movie would have made it less enjoyable. Yes, yes. You know, because I I often have these discussions with people because that's who I am. I'm a film nerd. (laughs) Where you have the elegant 
spoof movie that's done by Mel Brooks. Yes. And then you have the working man's spoof movie done by the Abrams. Right. Right. And so, you know, when you when you think about a spy movie that Mel Brooks makes, you get High Anxiety, which sure. was, uh, you know, a, a ripoff of Vertigo and some right. of the other uh, Hitchcock movies. And then you go to the Abrams and you get this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, the one thing that did come out pretty slick and probably where some of the music or where some of the budget went was the music, um, which was by Maurice Jarre, who obviously has done a gazillion things as oh, yeah. well, including a little film we reviewed called No Way Out. I think the music worked a little better in this movie than uh, No Way Out. I don't know. I, I could have absolutely loved listening to uh, Val Kilner go, No Way Out! <laughs> Even Tutti Frutti would have worked better in No Way Out. Right? Than, uh, half of the music in No Way Out. <laughs> but yeah, Maurice Jarry. Just you know, legendary three yeah. o- three Oscars. Look him up. You've seen yeah, the movie he's, he's done. Yeah, nine Oscar noms. He's got a tons of stuff. By the numbers, um, the budget was eight point five million, and the movie made twenty one point one million. It was considered a bomb at the time, actually, but clearly did okay. Yeah, what? What? I mean, but what? But I don't, what measurement is an eight million dollar movie that makes almost three times its budget a bomb? I have no idea. I mean, it launched Val Kilmer's career. It kind of did. I mean, this is pre Top Gun. Yeah, this it's was pre Real Genius. This was his very first feature leading role ever. I don't know if he might have had some like smaller roles prior to that, but if you go to his IMDb, this is his first major feature like leading man role before even before uh Real Genius and right. and and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, to get into that, uh Val Kilmer plays Nick Rivers, the American rock star. The rock star. Um he performs all the songs himself that the character sings in the film and he does all his own dancing. He, he's great in this. I I love him in this movie. He this movie is the reason why I became such a big fan of Val Kilmer when I was a kid. Yeah, he plays it so earnestly and honestly. Yeah. You know, and he there's only one tongue-in-cheek moment with the character and it's meant to be a tongue-in-cheek moment. Right. You know, when they break the fourth wall. Oh, right. But the rest of it, it he just he never stops being the character, which anybody will tell you the best comedies are people that don't act like they're in a comedy. Right. Yeah. And actually these the Abrams ones are at their best. When everybody's playing it straight. Yeah. They do get the, every one of them gets an occasional fourth wall break. Now I will say that fourth wall break though, he delivers this long line Mm -hmm. during that moment. One continuous shot. Yep. And it was perfect. He like, I mean, I don't know how many takes it it took for him to nail it, but right. But man, it's it's really good. And you, I, I was watching it going, is he reading cue cards? Is he, he wasn't reading cue cards. He was looking directly at the actress. So. Yeah. I'm not the first guy who fell in love with a girl he met in a restaurant who then turned out to be the daughter of a kidnapped scientist, only to lose her to a childhood lover who she'd last seen on a deserted island and who turned out 15 years later to be the leader of the French underground. I know. it. It all sounds like some bad movie. <laughs> the Abrams... The Abrams kind of tend to lean on some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, which, I mean, everybody knows Leslie Nielsen in Airplane (laughs) and a Naked Gun plays it straight. Right. Um, Just want you to know, we're all counting on you back there. (laughs) exactly. And he says that's the reason why it's so funny. And he's right. And this one, I think if they had not gotten somebody to play the Nick Rivers part that took it 100% seriously. Yeah. It would not have been as entertaining and successful as it ended up being. Yeah, we've got uh, Hillary Flamond is is sort of Flamond. the Flamond Flamond Flamond, uh, played by Lucy uh, Gutteridge, and she's she's fantastic in it. Sure, 
just gorgeous too i mean holy cow <laughs> and then uh you know we've got a whole cast of really interesting characters in here we've got agent cedric who we see right from the start of all people omar sharif omar sharif doing comedy doing comedy and and again playing it straight so it works so well right well he mostly plays it straight he gets a you little can't goofy play it straight when you're crammed into the car parts I mean. <laughs> right and you can't play it straight either when you literally are forced to smoke a a loaded cigar that blows up in your face yeah yeah <laughs> because this movie is like you had mentioned you know while we were watching it it's it's literally a cartoon it's, yeah it's a warner brothers cartoon come to life yeah exactly we've then got uh colonel von horst Played by Warren Clark, who was in A Clockwork Orange and Firefox and a ton of TV. Mm -hmm. Now, my favorite casting of this whole movie, I think, aside from Val Kilmer, is Martin, who's Nick's manager, played by Billy J. Mitchell, who has been in everything. Oh, yes. Holy cow. And such a an unassuming person to be in so many roles. I mean, he must have just been the consummate professional to land all these roles. I mean, I, granted, they're all small roles, but they're all really memorable roles. Like, yeah. if you think about... So this is this is a guy who's who was crushed by Xenia on a top in GoldenEye. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Never Say Never Again. He was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and a little film called Return of the Jedi. Right. I mean, uh, you know, the thing the thing is though, he's one of those guys that was an American actor in England, yeah, in the 70s and the 80s. Right. And so that's he just... pops up like Ratzenberger Pox that pops up <laughs> like us, uh, the guy that plays Porkins in Empire or yeah, in that Star guy. Wars also is one of the top men in Raiders of Lost Ark. Yeah, and just a Eckhart lot of in incestuous, yeah. So they were just those the, those group of actors that when filming in England was the thing to do. Yeah. They were basically like, we need an American. Almost like acting journeymen. Yeah, Who just exactly. kind of ma made their way from, from one production to another to another that, you know, showed up on time, could remember the lines, right. did a good job when they and were could asked. Not be, and could not be British. I mean, and, Yeah, and you needed an American. Right. <laughs> and they just happened to hang out in, you know, England long enough to catch all these great, these amazing roles. That right. But I mean, you know, in, in his case, though, uh, Billy J. Mitchell never really got more than character actor status. That is true. Things. I mean, everybody knows John Ratzenberger because he got on Cheers. You know, because he uh, <laughs> came, back, came back to the States <laughs> and uh, went to a bar. And then uh, that was all there was to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this guy, and I've always... I have always confused this guy with Frank Oz. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, until he talks. <laughs> right. Once he talks, you know he's not Frank Oz. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows you're not Frank Oz if you don't talk like Frank Oz. But, exactly. But still. Yeah. So, I mean, he's definitely as much a part of our childhood as this movie is a part of our childhood. <laughs> Indeed. We've got a... <laughs> Hillary's ex-boyfriend, Nigel, played by uh, Christopher Villiers. I, I'm hoping I say that right. Or can Chris, we get, Chris, can we get a... Uh, V-I-L-L-I-E-R-S. Uh, if you could give us a direct translation, that would be Yes, fantastic. that'd be great. Okay. Moving on. Uh, also of note, uh, the bookstore proprietor was played by Peter Cushing. So another Star Wars alumni there. And then we've got the whole band of rebels in here. We've got <laughs> Chocolate Moose played by Eddie Togo, who is probably my favorite of them all. Ah! 
<laughs> what is this? Gasoline. <laughs> the number of times that I have used that in my life, that's dumb line. Like, what is the Like, anytime I have a drink that's just awful, like, mm-hmm. and way too strong. We've got Latrine, played by Dimitri Andreas. <laughs> Deja Vu, played by Jim Carter. Ducroix, played by Harry Ditson. <laughs> I, mean, I don't have them all, but the list just goes on and on. I mean, we've got uh, croissant, souffle, escargot, and chocolate mousse. <laughs> Chevalier, montage, détente, détente. avant-garde, <laughs> and déjà vu. That's right. So this movie starts out, and of course it starts with a fight on a train, because it's a spy movie. And, and that's how you do it. And that's how you start a, a spy movie. So we get Omar, a.k.a. Agent Cedric, fighting on the top of a train. And and immediately we get a sight gag where the the Nazi he's fighting, of course it's a Nazi, is standing straight up and they get to this bridge. Well, you know, it's technically not a Nazi. An East German. East German. Which they've gone out of their way to make it look like they're World War II Germans, even though the thing seems to be placed... In the 1950s? Yeah. It's really... It moves around a lot. (laughs) Yeah, the time frame is really... The music and the general sense is late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, because it's all that Beach Boys-y... Yeah, and yet you've got weapons that are clearly from the 70s and the 80s in there. I mean... it's. Yeah, they're, so they're it's going a bizarre... out of the way to not make you understand when exactly this is happening. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and then when they're in the pizza shop, it feels like the nineteen, like early fifties mm-hmm. with the with the jukebox and everybody and all the girls are wearing the the, the poodle is, skirts. Little, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, yeah, it's so it's sort of like whatever the producers and the director thought would be directors thought would be funny. funny yeah, right. Yeah, because literally everything is played for laughs in here. So we get the fight on the train and the whole thing where the big East German guy is just standing there and they get to a bridge. And it just crushes <laughs> right through the bridge. Yeah, he dying. just breaks right through the bridge and just keeps standing there and he dusts off his coat and they they keep going. <laughs> and then he eventually jumps off the train. And then we cut to the war room of the East Germans. <laughs> There's some meeting going on. To be honest, I don't even hardly remember half of it. But it's essentially they're talking about how there's they're using some sort of concert or art a festival, music festival, a music festival as a diversion for all their conquering, yeah, uh, the basic all their plans is, to is conquer. They're trying to, in something that would never actually happen in the real world, they're going to use the opportunity where every missile or every submarine in the U.S. fleet is going to be traveling through the Strait of Gibraltar at the same time <laughs> to somehow destroy all of the submarines at the same time thus ensuring East German world domination, (laughs) even though East Germany itself had been dominated by the Soviet Union and it should have been more of Russian domination. Yeah. Uh, Again, I don't really know what period of time this is, (laughs) so I don't know what's politically accurate. But if there's an East Germany, it had to be before a certain point in time and after a certain point in time. So as this is all going on and they're plotting all this, some guy runs in with a note 
And it says that some British Secret Service agent had escaped or something like that. Yes. <laughs> and the guy has a, a stamp that he puts on it that says, find him and kill him. Find him and kill him. <laughs> so apparently, I'm going to need to get one of those stamps. I think definitely need to find that stamp. <laughs> and this whole thing is hilarious. You've got varying degrees of decent German accents to appalling German accents. <laughs> everybody's clicking their heels and God, I hope nobody clicked their heels at all. Somebody in the Foley department was just like, snip, snip. Every time somebody would talk, snip. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> so I guess they're, they're talking about who they were going to bring in to sing. I can't remember who the original intentioned. Oh, um, Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> yeah, so they're going to bring in Leonard Bernstein, but he fell out. Right. And so they found Nick Rivers and there, he's about to put the record on, and this is a, I, this is another great moment. It's like Germany will become united under one rule. Ours. After Sunday, there will be no one to stop us. Skeet surfing. Skeet surfing. And then you get maybe the best opening scene of any kind of movie like this. You've got a bunch of supposed teenagers, but definitely not teenagers. Definitely more than Running teenagers. around on the beach in bikinis and swimsuits and surfboards and shotguns. And shotguns. And, I mean, you've got girls in bikinis throwing skeet out with hand launchers, throwing skeet out with the mechanical launchers, and all these guys <laughs> on surfboards shooting actual shotguns and falling off, which was the funniest part ever. Well, the, my favorite part was every time they fell off, they would shoot something unintentional. Yes. So there's at one point, a plane, gets, gets the entire falls. wing comes off That's of a right. plane and crashes down. And of course, the best line... We're shooting while we're shooting the curls. And there's a guy shooting a curl on the board, shooting his shotgun. The whole thing is ridiculous. And you don't see Nick Rivers in the whole thing. Well, with the aside of just uh, magazine covers. Right. Of just to show that he's this famous right. American rock singer or I mean, whatever. You would think it was like a music video for him, but it wasn't. <laughs> Just a bunch of pretty people running around shooting shotguns on right. surfboards. And making impressions in the sand with... Oh, a, a, <laughs> an Abrams gag supreme. I mean, if it's something that an 11-year-old would think was hilarious, it's probably going to be in that movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So then, after we get done with that, I believe at this point, we're, we're now on the train. Nick, is Nick on, and, his, and his agent are on Nick the train. Nick and his agent are, are on a train. <laughs> Nick is painting while trying to learn German. And they finally, of course, show his painting and it's just this blur of colors. Right, like he's literally painting what he's seeing. Right. And for some reason, he's out there holding, and I, this must be in another Abrams film, mm -hmm. but he's out there and he's holding his thumb up for yeah. scale. And I could have swore that he was painting his thumb. <laughs> I've seen that gag somewhere before. Really? Where someone was doing that and then they go switch to the painting and he's painting his thumb. <laughs> and I thought it was from this movie. So when it turned out to be blurry, I was like, oh, well, what the hell is that random bit of data in my brain? For? Either that or it was like an outtake and they put it in the trailer, but then they decided to possibly chop it out of the actual it, movie or something possible. like that. It's possible. I have far less trailer idiot savant than I do actual <laughs> movie idiot savant. But I mean, it seems like both could have easily been a joke that fit into that movie. So. Right. <laughs> and I like how it's all pretty much garbage German that he's learning. Oh, yeah. It's all... I want a schnauzer with my wiener schnitzel. Yes. <laughs> so then these the German guys come in and they want to see their papers. And Nick says something. There's some sort of hostility that happens where the German guy says, you know, just know that you're just here for what we need of you. And, 
And then he says some random German thing. Michael Baumann, my guten Worten, listen. What the hell did you say to him? Nothing. I just told him I'd put his name on the Montgomery Ward mailing list. Which in this day and age means nothing. Nothing. Is Montgomery Ward even around anymore? No, they're gone. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Ask your ask your uncle. Ask uh, your grandparents ask about it. Ask your grandparents, actually. Or <laughs> yeah. Your, your very old elderly uncle <laughs> about the monkey wards. Yes. Oh, Montgomery Ward. So after they get past the checkpoint to go into East Germany. First of all, we get another sight gag where the train station starts moving instead of the train and rolls away. They kind of beat that one like a dead horse. Oh, yeah. With the guy running after it. Right. Like another trying- guy running after the tree. Yeah. It just would not let that one go. I think that was one of those ones where they just sort of doubled down. They were like, Oh, we gotta, we we just gotta do this. We gotta make this work somehow. <laughs> well, I, so going back briefly to Octopussy, mm-hmm. the scene with the trains. Yes. Immediately, this whole <laughs> yeah. thing popped up into right? my head. Again, trains, man. They were like. But I mean, the fact that things were moving, and and I just like this is like top secret when everything at the train station just started right. moving randomly. Yeah. So as they're making their way into East Germany. You get this Indiana Jones style map of <laughs> of East Germany, and there's a little track of them coming in, and then there's cars moving, which are creating dots on the map, and then it turns into a Pac-Man. It turns into a Pac-Man game <laughs> because, of course, it does. Well, you know, this was two years after Pac-Man came out, so yeah. So, of course, Pac-Mania got- was still a thing, particularly yeah. in the U.S. <laughs> Look up Pac-Man, kids. It's, it was a it was a very popular video game. <laughs> it even had a song. I suggest you look it up. Pac-Man Fever. Pac-Man Fever, baby. It's driving me crazy. Going out of my mind. (laughs) So then we get this, God, what is this sort of thing? It's some sort of award ceremony or some sort of formal thing. It's like a formal presentation of the people that are going to be at this art. Yes, that's what it is. In the city that they're in. That's what it is. It's like they're giving them the key to the city. Yeah, and there's they bring in the quote-unquote East German... Women's Olympic, Olympic team, team. and yep. it's basically just all men in drag, it's all, and it's literally all bodybuilder men. Yeah, in drag. That joke is so old. Oh God, yeah. It was it was old when they did it. Yeah, and going back to your sight gag thing, it's just it was it was an obvious one to that throw one, in there. That one for me did not land nearly as well as a lot no, of no. the other ones. That no, one no. was just sort of like okay, it was almost obligatory. Yeah. Now I do think that the scene there were some really funny translations of what are be- what's oh, being yes. said like or when they start singing the east german anthem yes which is about like don't try and escape because you will even if you try and tunnel under the wall will kill you anyway or, or something. you'll die by being electrocuted or yeah <laughs> yeah it's just all that sort of stuff was it's definitely the kind of thing you would expect to find in an 80s movie that even touched base with the cold war yes so then the next thing I have here in my notes about this ridiculous movie is that then we're we're back to Omar and Cedric is meeting with the uh his contact who is this practical joke novelty salesman souvenirs novelties party tricks so- <laughs> and blind yes and blind <laughs> 
Which is so strange. Well, he he's not actually blind, is he? Because I, I think at the end, right before he dies, he he like pulls off his sunglasses and makes a run for it. Could be right before he gets yes. shot, but he plays it blind. But yeah, yeah I, I didn't even know if that was just supposed to be another part of the joke. So right. So he's selling this thing, and then Cedric rolls up and tells him about that the scientist is being held hostage. Right. And I love the uh, the little password uh, thing that this. Oh, yes. Do you know any good white basketball players? There, <laughs> there are no good white basketball <laughs> players. Right. And all I'm thinking of is Larry Bird. <laughs> And then every time that somebody passes by, they have to like try and stay in character. Right. So then <laughs> Cedric is once again subjected to some bad joke or whatever, whether it's the the flower that's the flower with the ink. With the ink, and then we get the loaded, loaded uh, cigar. cigar. We get the whipped cream can that explodes from the back. From the back, yeah. Just oh, and of course at the very end. Wait. You dropped your phony dog poo. What? Funny dog. Souvenirs, novelties, party tricks. So then we've got this ballroom scene, which I did like a lot. I just thought this was a well done scene where, you know, Nick comes in to have dinner and just so many. This whole movie is just so chock a block full of sight gags. And mm-hmm. I know I will, I've already forgotten like half of them. Mm-hmm. But he goes in and he needs a jacket to be seated or whatever. So they send him off to a tailor and then the German guys come in with the other famous singer, the the opera singer or whatever he is. And in the background, you can see the tailor still like messing with Nick. (laughs) So they go, the German guys go sit down and then, of course, Nick comes out in a perfectly tailored tuxedo. Tuxedo. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) He comes, sits down, he pulls out the note that's from his manager and you hear... The manager's voice, but then his manager comes in with a little. So what you think you're hearing is him reading the note yeah, internally. Yeah, his inner inner monologue. So you're getting the echoey stuff and everything, and then the manager shows up with the tiny little microphone, yeah, talking to him and finishing his sentence. And, <coughs> yeah, I'm not feeling so good, Nick. <laughs> And Nick tells him to, to go back to his room, and he tells him that he's going, oh, by the way, I ordered that white ripple that you, we'd heard so much about. White ripple. <laughs> Which I love later, how it melts the yeah. glass. It's so Starts toxic. Starts steaming, and <laughs> yeah. then the glass just disintegrates. <laughs> and then we get the whole gag about, you know, the Mater D comes up to the top of the stage, and he's like... Well, you're forgetting when um, Hillary comes in. Oh, yes. Hillary you know. comes in and, and there's a bit of a scuffle because she's clearly trying to escape the German police. Nick sees her and kind of saves her by saying, oh, she's with me. And Is that when we find out what her the meaning of her name or is that later? Um, I believe that's, yeah, because he's like, Hillary, that's an interesting name. Yes. She's like, in German, it means woman whose breasts defy gravity. <laughs> and he, to Gilbert's credit. Completely played it straight. There yeah. was no sort of like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, right? no reaction right? whatsoever. No, no. Just no, like, no. oh, cool. And she's like, well, what was your name? <laughs> What's your name mean? He's like, oh, well, my dad thought about me when he was shaving. When he was shaving, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick. <laughs> so then we get the opera singer that came in with the German guys. Uh, they're trying to goad him onto the stage to sing. But of course, Nick thinks that they're trying to goad him onto the stage to sing. So then we get an, a musical number. And this movie has 
so many musical numbers in it. It really does. It's right up there with uh with Dean Martin with the you know the silencers and all of the um Matt Helm. All the Matt Helm movies. Just At so least he many- didn't sing his own internal monologue. This this is true. That that was the <laughs> I appreciated that. But man, there really were a lot of musical numbers, like almost for the sake of doing them to a to a degree. Well, you know? I, you know, I feel like that was what the Abrams were shooting for. They wanted to make a musical. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is probably gonna be their only shot at it. Yeah. Might as well cram it as much as you can. And they were able to cram a bunch of jokes even into the songs. Sure. And- it's got to listen to all the lyrics. Right. <laughs> so he does his number and the Germans leave in a huff. But the rest of the crowd loves it. And Hillary is quite uh, fixated on it. Oh, she's, sure. She's quite captivated. They sit back down and the waiter comes over. And he doesn't understand what the waiter is saying. And she goes, oh, well, I know a little German. <laughs> He's standing right over there. Yeah. It's Hervé Villachez gag from Airplane. I just need a little breather. And then it talks over. <laughs> At least they didn't have one of those. Yeah, it's in a skyscraper. A skyscraper? What's what's, what's that? It's, it's a, a it's incredibly a big... tall building that houses a lot of people, but that's not important right now. <laughs> right, exactly. We didn't get any of those, so. <laughs> no, and surprisingly, because that's a staple for them. <laughs> right. Right. So then uh, I believe the next thing we get is the ballet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which... and, Probably in this movie, one of the things that I remember the most, because I was 14 when I watched this movie, <laughs> and so really the only things I remember are apparently glowing nipples, bouncing bikinis, and large ballet dancer junk. <laughs> um, oh, and Peter Cushing's gigantic eyeball. Yeah. I always remember the big phone. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, we, we get them in there. uh they're at the ballet, all very cultured. No, I have no idea what they're dancing. It sounds like Swan Lake, maybe, maybe not. Right. But you know, we get it with starts off with traditional <laughs> ballet dancers doing traditional ballet. And then the, and men then the come male out. dancers come out. <laughs> and they're all wearing what I can only describe as miniature versions of a llama's hat. You this know, is like, like the Dalai Lama. If I mean, if you thought the codpiece in Labyrinth was big. Correct. <laughs> like no. quadruple that sucker. <laughs> I mean, and they literally—you got them. They're they're holding the dancers. One of them's resting on the guy's junk. One of them's literally standing, like doing tippy toe, yeah. ballet stuff. On, and they loved on one that joke so much that they actually closed in on the gag. To yeah, watch they pushed her, in on the edit. <laughs> yeah, to watch their, her tippy toeing across the various their, all junk. of their junk. <laughs> and what had to be, I don't know somebody's weird fantasy. Who knows where that idea came from? I mean, I get the joke, but boy, they really beat that one to death. I feel like they do that a lot in this movie, though. They're like... Yeah, they take it to the nth degree. (laughs) It's just like, how can we push this so far that it's like... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then, so, as we're watching... And this is all interstitial, right? Because it's not part of the scene. It's background. And then the guys come out initially and the lady that's sitting next to an older lady sitting next to Nick has the opera glasses out and she looks and she sees all the junk and she sort of sits back with this whimsical look on her face (laughs) and then he borrows them and he's looking, then he's looking and he sees Hillary over there at across from him in a different box. And she's getting into an argument with very German looking person who pulls out a gun who I've seen in something before, and I can't place him. I, you know, I don't know. He looked familiar to me too. You know who he kind of looked like was 
Do you remember the show V? Yeah. The the alien V show in the eighties. He kind of looked like the leader of the of oh, the lizard people. He's definitely not that guy. He's definitely an American actor. Done okay. a lot of stuff like that. All right. He did bear a resemblance to him. Yeah. So yeah, I think she's in some sort of tussle with him, and Nick immediately gets up to go help to go rescue her. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to fight this guy, and his hand is mashing the guy's face. Right. Of course, as soon as he pulls his hand away, it stays that way. Yeah, his face stays that way because they can't they can't let the visual gags go in this no, movie no. anywhere. No. And there is a lot of prosthetic visual gags going on. In yeah, I mean that's probably where half the budget went. And then in the process of the scuffle, Nick ends up sending this guy over the balcony to his death. Right. And then we find out that that guy was part of the German police. So then Nick and Hillary find an escape somewhere. <laughs> and they pass by the janitor's closet. And they open up the door and guess what? There's the janitor, a janitor. The janitor is standing there inside the janitor's closet <laughs> because that's where they keep the janitor. Not the janitor's stuff. And then, of course, they go into the prop room. Which and is it's filled all prope- with propellers. Propellers. <laughs> of course. So then they're in this propeller room or prop room. The prop room. And Nick tells Hillary to go out the window and leave him and he'll deal with the police because, you know, he's Nick and he can, you know, he's an American rock star and I can handle these German police. And so she heads out and then he gets arrested and of course goes to jail, which yet another gag where they show him in jail and he's making hash marks on the wall. Like he's been there for days. Like he's been there for days. And finally his manager comes and he's like, I've been here for nearly 20 minutes. (laughs) Well, and then they, you know, they go even worse on this one. Right. Because... He's telling Nick, uh, you know, I'm doing all I can. I've talked to our ambassador, the UN ambassador, all these other things. And I just can't find a way to bring my wife to orgasm. (laughs) And then they bring in the most bizarre thing of all. The anal intruder. (laughs) Right. He's like, why don't you try this? Pulls it out from under his cot in the jail cell. (laughs) Yeah. This giant gun with several attachments, especially including the giant rubber fist. Right, right, right. And his manager seems overjoyed by this. Yeah. Trying things out on it. (laughs) Right. Putting this attachment on, putting that attachment on, all while still having a conversation with Nick. (laughs) Right. So then, uh, yeah, I think... Martin has to go away at this point. He, I guess he's going to try to talk to more people to try and get Nick out or something. He's like, well, right. at the very least, they're going to have to let you out for this concert or whatever. Right. So let's make no mistake. He was leaving to go use the anal intruder. Oh, for sure. For that sure. was what they were clearly conveying in this entire scene. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. And it would ultimately come back to haunt him later <laughs> yeah. when he didn't realize the change in voltage in Europe. Well, it took them two hours alone just to get the smile off of his face. I find it very interesting that that's how he met his end in this movie. <laughs> and in GoldenEye, they couldn't get the smile off his face. It had to be a callback. That had to have been the idea behind. <laughs> had to have been. So you have to appreciate that level from <laughs> yeah, somebody. Yeah. Maybe Michael G. was like, I like that Tom Secret movie. I, got, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing right here. <laughs> but again... It's really funny that Martin's like, I'm sure that they'll let you out, but immediately they cut to a priest being yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> a priest being in Nick's jail cell. Reading him last rites, supposedly, yeah. but actually 
just throwing out Latin words, <laughs> yeah, random, isurasunum, ixne, anye, ude, amade, ekge. Big Latin in there on top of everything right. else. And so, it reminded me of the scene from Johnny Dangerously, which was very similar. Oh, okay. Um, where he's getting led to the chair and he's getting ready to be broken out. And the guy playing the priest is one of his men. And he's all like anti-meridian. <laughs> Uncle Meridian and all the little Meridians. I mean, it's almost like they pulled it right off of that. And then, of course, they do the switch where instead you see you see a silhouette on the wall of the of the electric chair, and they turn it on. But of course, the priest the priest gets killed. The priest gets killed, and they're just using that to try and scare Nick into telling them all that he knows, which he doesn't right. really know anything, right? So. So then they send him back to his cell, and he's really mad, and he starts... And of course, in his jail cell, there just happens to be a crowbar. Right. <laughs> which allows him to get into these air vents, which then we play this goofy game where his head sticks out of literally it's every the, orifice of this of this jail it's, cell. It's the Scooby-Doo chasing the monster seed, you know? It, it really is. Shaggy goes in the door at the far end of the hall, and left comes out at the one right closer to the camera at the right. Right. And apparently there's a picture of Cher that's just tacked to the wall (laughs) that uh, apparently Val Kilmer was dating her at the time. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah, Really? Yeah. Val Kilmer dated Cher? Who didn't date Cher? (laughs) I was not aware of this. Uh, Apparently so. (laughs) Apparently so. I mean, IMD says it, so it must be true. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's just that random picture, and they're like, "Who is that in there?" Wow, you can't really tell. So far away, and it's, it's sadly a not 4K restoration. No, that's currently available on the platform of our choice. <laughs> um, so definitely could have been shared now, and I know this. Yeah, but the crowbar thing is funnier, <laughs> to be honest, than any share picture would be. But so, uh, <laughs> so then. So then he finds the one pathway in this labyrinth of air passages or whatever that leads him down to the science lab where they are keeping Dr. Flamond. 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 Played uh, by Alfred. By, played by Alfred from 1989 Batman. Thank yeah, you, from Tim Burton. Michael Keaton Batman. Yep. Michael Goff. Go, go, Goff. Go. I do not know how you pronounce his last name. Is it, oh, is it, so it's like G-O-U-G-H. a G-O-U-G-H. Okay, yeah. I'm going to say... I would say Goff. I would say Goff. Or maybe Go. Perhaps someone can help Chris. with that. <laughs> Chris, anybody, really. Anybody who would like to give us a uh, clarification on that one? Because, it, you know, the, the one thing that IMDb lacks is a pronunciation thing. Or they yeah. just give the little breakdown of how to pronounce it phonetically. That would be really helpful for folks like us. Yeah, it would be fantastic. <laughs> but he goes into the whole, basically the MacGuffin of the, the movie. Yes. Know, he's a scientist that's been kidnapped. And <laughs> to create the Polaris mine. The Polaris mine, which is more or less... A giant magnet. A giant magnetic mine <laughs> that's so powerful that it will attach itself to all of these submarines coming through the Strait of Gibraltar right. and destroy them all. And then, of course, Nick accidentally turns it on, and this giant Giant submarine comes flying through the wall. (laughs) But the best gag in that whole scene, though, is the the Germans show up, point the guns, Nick puts his hands up, Flamand puts his hands up, and then you see the hatch of the submarine fly up, (laughs) and the the submarine captain comes out and puts puts his his hands hands up. (laughs) I do like the sight gag, too, where the doctor is like, I had almost finished creating my tunnel. And you look in and it's like the Eisenhower tunnel right. or like. I think it's like the Lincoln tunnel. 
Like in New tunnel. York, but I know it's got a New Jersey exit, so I don't know. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, that comes later on. But uh, oh, that's right. That's when they come back to rescue. Yeah, they come him. back to rescue. That's him. right. But yeah, it's still it's still funny. <laughs> and then your lovely wife pointed out that yes. you could see the pile of dirt <laughs> under the bed that he was taking with the spoon, <laughs> right? And putting it on there. Yeah, because when he first slides in, you, you just see the hand come out with the spoonful of dirt, like. right? <laughs> So after the German guards come back in, he's then sent to be executed. Right. But then the head of the Germans or whatever, the or he... He gets a phone call to stop the execution. Yeah. And so he tells the other guy to call the execution off. So then the phone's ringing. There's just, they just put a phone on a pedestal outside, right, right next to the firing squad. Exactly. <laughs> Who are all doing like drills. Right. Rather than shooting anything. Oh, God. <laughs> The old lady with the walkers trying to get to the phone to as it's ringing. <laughs> but of course, he's saved and we cut right immediately to the concert. Right. Where he starts doing the singing. And it's just, they're just trying to recreate the Beatles mania oh, yeah. of just these women just losing their minds, like crying out and screaming about, oh, yeah. about Nick. Just a bunch of, t- of teenagers and, and early 20s girls. Right. Screaming, wringing their hands, holding their faces. Right. And it's all just silly, sight gaggy things. Like there's a part where he holds on to the microphone and angles it. And then he's walking away, but the... The microphone's stretching. <laughs> yeah, the microphone pole just keeps stretching yep. further and further away. Or the guitar that's on the, the wires. And when he's done playing guitar, oh, it, goes, when he, it goes up. Yes. It's, it's, it's less about maybe the Beatles and more about like... Elvis's, yeah, things. it was definitely more Elvis because than Beatles. He had the three backup singers that were literally dressed like Elvis's backup True. singers, and he did all the the pelvis gyrations yeah, that Elvis exactly. did, and all which, that. by the way, quite good, and I'm quite accurate. S- and you know, we kind of passed over on it while we were in the ballroom. But the first thing he does when he meets Hiller is they start dancing on the floor, and they're doing sort of a starting at a waltz, but then they go into this weird sort of clappity clap. <laughs> Twist Pee Wee Herman up and jumping down, right? Thing. And the girls they all uh, fill their cheeks with air, right here. and the and the men like poke to yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he he carried it off so well. Yeah, his dancing in it is right. is spot on and just like perfect Elvis impersonation. Yeah, so quite I mean, frankly. you've got to give kudos to him for being that physical committed and, and committed to it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, he brings the girl on stage. <laughs> yes. And she's falling all over. And he lets her go and she just crashes. Crash. <laughs> and that girl had to be like that 13 girl or real, 14. Really young. Which I'm like, is this sort of an indictment against Elvis marrying his oh. 14-year-old, you know, could have been. Priscilla Presley? Could have been one of those. Or the oh, Jerry like a, Lee Lewis thing, marrying yeah, his cousin that Yeah, was could have been a, a subtle, I subtle mean, jab. The Abrams, maybe twice in a movie. Will hit something at a level that goes beyond the shenanigans they're doing, right? But you have of. to look for it. Yeah, and that and, might have definitely been. And I it. feel like that was she was so clearly too young to be up there, way compared too young. to all of the other yeah. girls that were in the audience, or like the woman that was clearly like probably late twenties who who like licked her lips at him. Oh yeah, <laughs> that ingenue thing that was going on. Yeah. There. So maybe maybe that was one of the. I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> so yeah, so the girl she goes crashing down, <laughs> and at this point in time the jig is up. Right, the guitar comes descending from Back where it down. once went, 
And Nick looks up to see what's happening, and there's Hillary up there going, Nick, I have to get you out, blah, blah, blah. Right. Because he cracks the guitar. Up he goes. (laughs) (laughs) And away they go to. Now, you had to explain this joke to me because I I was not aware that Swedish bookstore was code for an adult store. Yes. But that's where they go next. Correct. That's where they're <laughs> that's where the resistance's contact is. You know, that resistance that they had in East Germany. Sure. During the Cold War. <laughs> right. Because peopled with a bunch of French French people, people. <laughs> trying to free East Germany. Right. Sure. Sure. Because okay. that's a thing. Yep. <laughs> so, so that's when uh we meet. Mr. Cushing. Mr. Cushing and his bionic eye. <laughs> his bionic eye. And it's so weird. I mean, I get it that that they're trying to make it sound like like silly Swedish language, but the whole scene is shot in reverse. Right. And dubbed over and like it's so it's so weird. Right. And, and Nick it, Nick does his thing to make it look like he's throwing the books back up onto the shelf for the old man. Right. And- <laughs> well the funny thing is, is that's maybe the one scene where he sort of tongue and cheeks it. Because he's got that smile on his yeah. face. I mean, aside from the third wall, fourth wall break, but comes kind of like, ah, wee. Well, he even like pops his collar during part of it, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny in the IMDb notes, uh, of note of this particular scene, the face cast that they used for Peter Cushing to design the eye prosthetic that they right. put on him was the same life cast that they used to do the CG work for Rogue One. Really? Because it like, apparently was like the only less existing thing out there. Wow. Because Peter Cushing hadn't had a life cast done for a whole bunch of things. Wow. Yeah. So apparently that was part of the basis for how they used- How they did made the, how they the made virtual the CGI. Cushing. <laughs> yeah. Which, A, mind-blowing that somebody still had it. Yeah. Right? It's like, let's hold on to this forever. Because I'm like, <laughs> did ILM do the makeup on this? I'm like- that would have been the entire $8 million budget right, right there. there. Yeah. <laughs> so it must have been in the hands of some collector. I mean, I'm yeah. gonna, I want to look later and see whether or not there's more story to this than that. Yeah. But, I mean, I could totally believe it because it was almost, if it wasn't his last movie, it was very close to one of his last films. For sure, yeah. And so, I mean, they were capturing him almost 10 years later from Star Wars. Right. But still, to be able to have a 3D version of his head. Right. And it's <laughs> and for all that, it still looked like garbage. But um, <laughs> highly technical garbage. Highly technical garbage. But garbage nonetheless. <laughs> So Peter Cushing with his gigantic eye basically tells them where they have to go next. Yes. To continue on the, the road uh, to the, the resistance. Isn't it the potato farm? Is this when yes, they find they out about the, the potato, potato farm? farm. <laughs> and then of course they go up the slide pole. Yep. yep. To... The, at the end of it, it's just like and, <laughs> and then it's the backwards. Dog, and the, the dog, dog walks backwards. <laughs> yeah. To, to let you in on the joke that you already knew. That you already knew was happening. Yeah. So <laughs> So then they they stay upstairs in this Swedish bookstore. Right. And that's when Hillary tells Nick about the, tells the Blue Lagoon story. Right. Yep. I love the shopping cart gag where they. (laughs) The bamboo shopping cart while she's shopping for vegetables and fruits. Right. And then we we see the the fully made house with a garage door opener Uh (laughs) while they're on the island. And she's telling him about her relationship with Nigel Mm -hmm. and how they started discovering each other's bodies and stuff like that. And there's this love scene and you just see hands and legs and and all these additional body parts and and faces. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then, of course, we eventually come to learn that he just sort of goes fishing one day and disappears. Never comes back. Never comes back. And then she's left on the island for a couple months before she's finally reunited with her with her family or whatever. And then we get this silly thing from Nick where he's like, actually, I, I can actually really relate to this because this one day we were at, what was it? M- Macy's. Macy's, yes. Yeah. So he's at Macy's and he loses his mom when he's a kid and he never finds his he mom never again. never finds his mom and again. he just lives at Macy's. Yeah, the the... the- <laughs> A couple of the ladies at the store bring him food. And, um, eventually, <laughs> and he gets old enough to need a job. and Right. And then they need a jingle. Macy's needs a jingle, and he just happens to have his guitar there. Right. And he writes a jingle for Macy's, and that's yeah. how he gets to discovered. The, to the, the tune of Are You Lonesome Tonight? <laughs> yeah. Which, again, the Elvis connection. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny, too, that it's all about Macy's, and yet Hillary is, is so entranced by it that she just plants one on him and yep and then they have a roll roll rolling z hey literally we watch the camera pans off to a fireplace and then you see them drop in front of the fireplace and start rolling around while they're kissing and they roll past a second a second fireplace yeah So then we cut to the next day and there's like a horse carriage coming down the road and somebody's singing and you assume it's the guy, you know, handling the horse. But no. <laughs> it's the horse. It's the horse singing. Very Mr. Ed style. Yes. Nick and uh, Hillary get out of the back and and the horse starts coughing. And then we get that terrible joke of, oh, he's just a little horse. <laughs> Jason's over there just shaking his head. You know, I, it's, it's almost irredeemable, honestly. It, it's, it's, it's one of the worst ones, for sure. I mean, this... That one, and what was the other one that I mentioned earlier that I, I, can't, I, I can't you know remember? What? There's so as, many. as we talk There's about the so movie, <laughs> it's slowly filtering out of my mind again. Except for, as mentioned before, glowing nipples. Glowing <laughs> Large belly junk. <laughs> And bouncing bikinis. And the guy with the giant eye. And the guy with the Peter giant Cu- eye. Peter Cushing with the giant eye. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so off goes the horse, clippity-clop, singing la 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 la. Right. right. Um, they go up to the door of the house and knock oh on the door. God. That and, had me rolling. Right. Such a dumb sight gag, but I thought they, it was hilarious. So and, there's panels on the door. The top middle panel opens up and a guy pokes his head out. Yes. And Kilmer's like, is this the potato farm? Yes, I am Alphonse Potato. (laughs) We're here with the resistance. And then the thing closes, the door opens up, and it's this tiny little man (laughs) who's much shorter than the door. It killed me. But yeah, they end up going into the house. And (laughs) And that's when we meet the entire resistance. The entire resistance. And shall we? Let's see. Uh We have <laughs> Chevalier Montage Détente Avant-Garde Déjà Vu. And have we met suit, monsieur? I don't think so. Mm. <laughs> and over there, croissant, souffle, escargot, and chocolate mousse. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this is where we find out that Nigel is still alive. And is leader. And is the leader of the resistance. And we find this out because he comes out with his curly, <laughs> blue stupid, lagoon curly, curly boot. Yeah, stupid blue lagoon, curly hair, a bone necklace, and a loincloth, <laughs> all oiled up and muscly. 
And Hillary's all like, well, hello, nurse. Right. Right. She comes over, starts measuring with his a tape biceps. measure. His bi- and then, and then, then she, she comes she out of frame. <laughs> yeah. It comes up from the frame with the tape measure at something like eight and a half inches. <laughs> and she's just sort of like, well, hello. <laughs> Which I'm like, wouldn't she know that already? Right. Mm. Maybe she was just making sure it was actually Nigel. <laughs> Perhaps that could be it. That's exa- that is uh, that is probably accurate. You really are Nigel, <laughs> right? So she appears to be incredibly infatuated with him, and of course Nick is very jealous because they just shared their little roll, 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 and say hey, indeed. And so uh, this is where Nigel starts to explain everything that's going on, what the resistance is trying to do. Right. Introduces all of the generically French term things that American people will recognize, <laughs> name people. And then basically says, you know, we've got things we got to do. Goes off of the thing. And that that gets us to the whole Nick and Hillary alone scene. And that's when we get that brilliant just long. Just one long continuous, you know, I'm just a boy who met a girl doing the thing with the thing. And the <laughs> thing, 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 thing. And she turns around and she's all like, it's like it's out of some sort of bad movie. And, and then they, they look. <laughs> and it's funny because Kilmer's just, he's. He's doing the slow burn. And he barely looks at camera right. where she goes she right goes to camera. Right at it. Right, right to camera. <laughs> and so I think at that point, the Germans find them. Yes, we get the shootout. We get the most ridiculous shootout. Oh my God. The grenade that comes in. The guy <laughs> The guy jumps oh, on the no, grenade. No, no, no. You have, but you have to forget, you got to bring Latrine in first. Yes, because Latrine comes in every during every because he's he's basically exposition, right? Right. He's just there to tell you, but he's like every scene he gets more wounded. There's more <laughs> yeah. blood and bandages on the guy, right? But every time he walks Latrine, and then he explains that the Germans have found them. That prompts the gunshots, right? And then it's just like something out of an old western movie. People busting yeah. windows. Busting windows, and then Nick is playing tic-tac-toe. At one point in time, he busted, <laughs> oh, the machine gun's making X. Right, or the one guy that can't seem to break any of the windows, no matter what he uses right. to break he through. Gets a sledgehammer, breaks a sledgehammer. And it's then, silly. And then and Chocolate he, Moose picks that's up the, best the cannon. To the cannon. Yeah. <laughs> but then the Germans bust into the uh, the resistance's, or the potato farm, I guess, right. for lack of a better term. And you see the Chocolate Moose actor, he's all... Burr! moving the gun around at different angles. And all these Germans that are fighting the resistance guys all fall to the ground. But all the resistance members are fine. Fine. They're fine, yeah. Yeah, he's just like, wow. And they're like, nice shooting. And then another... Oh, the guy, some random guy just comes in, my man. My man, high five, (laughs) and off they go. A little stereotypical, admittedly, but... I mean, it was definitely in the vein of... Excuse me, miss, I speak jive. Yes. Very much on brand for the Abrams, though. Yes, so then we cut to that pizza joint. Right. Where they're, they're, they've agreed to meet at this pizza joint later yes. before the Germans attack. And I just love, there's this moment where, is it, I can't remember even if it's before or after Nick does yet another musical number to prove that he's not Mel Torme. Well, yeah, there's this whole thing going around because... The carrier pigeon shows up. <laughs> yeah. They st- First, they accuse the carrier pigeon of being of, the of, traitor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Nigel's like, someone here in this table must be the traitor. And they all start trying to, he kind of tries to turn it towards Nick because nobody knows that he's actually Nick. Right. right? And he's like, because uh, what happened was, is two German girls come up that are dressed that they up. They recognize him. They recognize him. Are you Nick Rivers? And he's like, no, I'm uh, 
Mel Torme. Yeah. And, you know, how do we know he's not Mel Torme? Right. So he takes a coin, throws it in the jukebox, and starts singing his song. Yes. In there. And then everybody gets up and starts sock hop dancing. Right. But it starts getting ridiculous. Well, and it's really funny, too, that the whole song is about straightening the rug, and he's literally dancing on all the rugs throughout the entire right. pizza joint. And in turn, getting to do break dancing on one of the rugs where he drills a hole into the floor by bunny style. <laughs> That's so absurd. Right. Where he literally does dancing in the ceiling, Lionel Richie style. Yeah, jumps on a rug that's on the wall, does a backflip. But it's funny because he drills that hole down, then he comes in back to the front door and keeps right on singing. Yeah, just the, like nothing happened. Nothing happened. That's so, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. There's that scene when they're talking, though, and they show him in the background and those kids are eating the pizza. Yeah, he's talking to Hillary and she's trying to convince him to stay or whatever. Right. And these people are pulling the cheese off this pizza, like stretching it like six feet away yeah. from where the actual pizza's <laughs> sitting on the table. <laughs> it's just so dumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, Nick pretty much convinced them he is who he says he is. Yeah, through his song because, and dance. Because Mr. Potato, Farmer Potato says, he's definitely not Mel Tomei. That's right. So from there, somehow he's convinced. I don't even know anymore. You, you know what? It's so silly. It is. There's there's so much going on in this movie half the time. I'm just like barely holding on to the plot. Right. <laughs> but so he agrees to help out. And then they're going to parachute down to the prison to break out Hillary's dad, Hillary's the dad, doctor. The doctor. Dr. Flamond. Flamond. And so they're parachuting out of this place. Plane, and we get this extremely Looney Tunes moment where, where, so Looney Tunes. where Nick and Hillary are, are still discussing the whole issue of the fact that Nigel is suddenly back and now she's going to be with him instead of Nick. But that she still loves Nick. Right, but that she still but loves But she has to support Nigel because of what he's doing. It's such right. a good thing. But then she ends up kissing him and then, of course, the big dramatic music comes in. And then, of course, there's a fireplace. With a, parachute, with a parachute. But there's, so, there's so much subtlety in this particular gag. Because like Nick is falling faster than she is. Yeah, so and then he, she calls his name and he comes back up. <laughs> Bugs Bunny style. And then they're having like a romantic conversation where, you know, he says something and she turns away from him. And yeah. she has to rotate in the parachute away from him. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some little bits in this that... Take it up a level from where the banality of what it actually Absolutely. is. Yeah. But yeah, then you've got the fireplace, which just brings us right back to being absurd again. Right. And there's a couple moments in there where you can clearly tell, like at, at one point they're just standing. They're not even yes. they're not even hanging from anything. They're yep. literally just standing on a floor. They're just standing on a floor, holding their arms up above <laughs> on this thing, and they've got wind blowing in their hair. So then they land and Nigel and the other guy. I forget who the other resistance member is. Oh, um, who, who get in the uh, Duquois. Duquois. Oh, but first we get the overly elaborate miniature of the plan on on the dirt. Well, it starts <laughs> off looking like he's he's like. So here's the plan. Right. We'll he takes a stick here, and he <laughs> and he draws over. And you see some model trees, <laughs> and you yeah. see a model fence, or then you see a model cow. Because the plan is to impersonate a cow with a cow yes. suit and make their way through so they could deactivate the electric fence so right. the others could get through. Then there's a herd of cows with little German soldiers. <laughs> and then the, it's literally a miniature of the castle they're getting ready to break into. Which uh, I feel like that ended up in a Hot Shots. And I feel like I've seen something like that in uh, Austin Powers as well. It could be. And then before they even get down there, we see Nigel look through his binoculars 
and they see the cows and the cows. So you get the silhouette of the binoculars. Yeah, the, the, circular the old bin- trope. The old trope where it's like black around it. But then you see the cows literally jump through or over the, the black circles. The black circles to <laughs> enter the frame. It's just, they never stop. It's I have no idea. It's so dense with, oh, yeah. with visual gags. They're just, they're writing jokes and writing jokes because the plot is so thin. Yeah. It doesn't require you to invest in it very much to understand where it's going. Right. So this was the opportunity for them to just throw in shit that- They've they, always wanted yeah, to do. Because- you were going to lose the narrative by doing it. Right. So then Nigel gets in the uh, cow suit with... Uh, with Duquois. With Duquois. And he insists on being in the back. And he's like, fine, be a horse's ass. Right. <laughs> so they get into the cow suit. Which, which has, they replace... Which has boots on for right? some reason. Well, and they replace it with an actual cow. Yeah. Halfway like, through, they cut in right. with a real cow. And it's wearing boots. And it's wearing boots. And then later that that actual cow smokes, apparently. Right. Or well, no, no, that was that was a forced perspective gag. <laughs> right. With that. But they they get in there, and so you get the gag because it's a it's a cow, not a bull. Right. So it's got udders, and you get the gag where a oh, little God. little baby cow comes comes and... over to to get some baby cow milk, and, and... you got Nigel in the back. <laughs> Why are we in such a rush? We could wait a minute. <laughs> but I mean, they get to the power shack, and that's where we see the hands come out. Yeah, the forced perspective what makes it look like the cow smoking. smoking. Because it's the real cow still. Yeah. Right? With yeah. just arms. And <laughs> pr- it picks the lock or uh, does the combination to get them in. Right. Or they need to do so they can deactivate it. Um, and I love how there's literally a big sign inside the shed that says, Dispensin Svitchin. Dispensin Svitchin. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, okay, thank you. Well, it's as realistic as all the other German they were using in it. <laughs> yeah. So they turn off the power and then... <laughs> Then we cut to Nick and Chocolate Moose, and who's the other one that's there? I, can't I think remember. It, I think it's uh, it's uh, is it deja vu? Maybe it is deja vu. So they're walking, and it's really loud, crunchy on leaves noises. Right. He's like, "Hey, shh!" And then they start walking again, and there's no sound at nope. all. <laughs> <laughs> so then they cut through the fence, and uh, no CO two laser, no CO two laser for just them. Just good old fashioned wire cutters. That's right. And that's, I believe, when that we cut to the war room, and that's when we get the giant phone gag. <laughs> Phones ringing, and they do that forced perspective thing, which is really, the way they set that up is done so well. Oh, yeah, it's a great shot. And I forget what that kind of shot is, where everything is in focus, no matter what, no matter where it is. But the German guy comes over, and he's never out of focus, and he just picks up this giant phone to, to talk. <laughs> I forget... This is when things just start mushing in my brain. Yeah, at this point, you're 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 waiting for the movie to be over. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, well, what more could possibly happen in right? this movie? But that's when we cut back to the outside of the jail, and Nigel wants to turn the power back on. Right. And Duquois like, well, I'm not going to do that. Do it. And he's like, well, this gun in your back says it says you will. And that's when we find out that Nigel's the traitor. Right. Yeah. So th- so then they go rescue Flamand. Dr. Flamo. Dr. Who's already trying to rescue himself, as we've already stated. Yes, yes. He was building his, uh, you know. That's only one day away from finishing my tunnel. <laughs> they, I think they escape on foot. 
Mm-hmm. And then they're pursued by the Germans who first were driving around in circles. Right. <laughs> and then they come out and... So that's when we have So the they're Pinto waiting gag. for this German truck to come over with all these guys. And Chocolate Moose shoots them with his gun. And they veer off a flat, into a field. And veers into And this. runs into the back of a 78 Red Pinto, Ford Pinto hatchback. And it just goes... Ding, and the entire thing explodes <laughs> because that's because that's, that's the what, gag in 1984, right? Well, that's what Pintos were supposed to be doing was right. blowing up when they got rear-ended, right? Back in the day, don't buy a Pinto, kids. Um, <laughs> not that you'd really want to anyway. No, you really um, wouldn't. But so that's the part I can't remember. At this point, weren't they just oh, trying, trying to get, to get the, to the plane to, to escape? The plane. Yeah. So they get into the half track or the German car that's still on fire. It's still on fire from the explosion. And they go driving off with the smoke of the flames and somebody pops up. Well, I'll say one thing about the Germans. They build really good cars. <laughs> right. <laughs> which I have to agree. <laughs> but so they get to... Um, Hillary was waiting at the truck. To take them to the airfield. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Take them to the airfield. Nigel shows up on his own because he's got rid of everybody else. Oh, and we forgot the whole gag about how the bull comes over. Oh, and, well, and did we forget that or did we just, <laughs> we just not try, mention that? Tried to not remember that or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, needless to say, during the gag, a bull does to the rear end of a cow what a bull does to the, to rear, the rear end, end of, of a cow. cow. And Nigel is showing uh, what the after effects are. Of yes. He's- we also forget that there's the whole latrine gag again towards the end of that. <laughs> right. Um, oh, and that's how we find out that Nigel is the traitor. Is the traitor. So he shows up and he's ch- ch- chatting <laughs> with Hillary. Oh, he had the carrier pigeons. I couldn't figure out. That, that's how we find out, too, that Nigel's the, the traitor is because he was the one that sent the carrier pigeon with the with thing. The, with the thing. And that, wow, that totally did not click until just now. I know. But anyway, <laughs> so he confronts Hillary about it and says, yes, I was picked up by a Russian ship and I didn't want to go back. Because they were making me very, very happy. You know, there was right. some insinuation there that yes. he may have been, uh, shall we say, abused. Yes. And he liked it. And <laughs> they taught him about Marxism and capital or and communism. Right. And he became a dyed in the wool, true eyed, whatever. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Nigel kidnaps. Hillary in the Mercedes truck. That's right, because Nick has the he, motorcycle. He gets the motorcycle to do the great escape thing, where he literally does. He's dressed almost exactly like Steve McQueen, riding almost the exact same motorcycle, jumps over a barbed wire fence like he does in The Great Escape, and then he looks at you, winks at the camera, <laughs> and then jumps over six buses. Yeah, like Evil Knievel like style. Like Evil Knievel style. <laughs> so yeah, he's running, he catches up with the truck... And then we get kind of an Indiana Jones. Well, the funny thing is he's standing on his motorcycle, which is somehow now accelerating itself without his hands right, on it. Right, right. But he does a surfing move because <laughs> he's a skeet surfer. That's right. Once a skeet surfer, always, always a, a skeet, skeet surfer. surfer. And then he starts getting into a, a ridiculous punching match <laughs> on the outside of the truck with Nigel, who's driving. Right. We. I just like the the moment where they cut to the radio and they're fighting over yeah, what station the to dial, get. <laughs> hitting the push button to get to the auto select. Right. And then there's you know he's grabbing him by the nose. And, right. You know, and it's just it's so ridiculous. But the two of them end up going over a bridge. And into the water. Right. And that's when we get the most truly Looney Tunes moment of all, where they're fighting underwater and they just happen to be in this old style Western saloon. Yeah, it turns into a Western <laughs> saloon. Right. So you've got punches and air blowing out with each one of the punches. 
You get a and chair. He's, he's winding up his arm to right. punch him and then punching him with the reverse arm. You got and- cowboys hiding under the table. They're playing poker on. The bartender hits Nigel over the head with a bottle. Right. And it all looked like it was being done practically. It does. I have to think it was. I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you could. It, it absolutely is. The hair is moving like it should be. Yeah. They're breathing out air like they were taking hits off of a regular. And they're cutting. The, the the amount of cutting would suggest that they really did this. Right. And I mean, because so, it's 84, there's no such thing as CGI. Right. So they're underwater doing this in a tank, I guarantee Which is it. pretty commendable. Yeah. And it, it, as dumb as it is, the scene plays out really well. Oh, absolutely. Because of that level of commitment to it. Right. But I guarantee that scene was an eighth of the budget of this movie. Probably. Because that had to take days to shoot that Oh, scene. yeah. That was probably a long shoot just to get that scene. So he... Is this where Nick... Kills him, basically? I so. think he just knocks him out. Okay. And then, yeah, he's, he's start with that... <laughs> grabs a cowboy hat, gives her the finger guns, well, and walks out the slidey, or the <laughs> flappy doors. Right. But then next time you see him, he's walking out of the water to the kind of like Bo Derricky slow motion thing as he comes out. Right. And that's, we get, and that's when we get Jason's uh, most memorable moment of the whole film. Headlights. Honk, honk. <laughs> so bad. Which it's is funny because so stuck in my fourteen-year-old brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then they're at the airplane, and the the doctor is kind of worried that Nick and Hillary aren't going to show up. And then, of course, they show up on the motorcycle. Yep. And then there's this very brief but not very believable moment where Nick has to convince her to come to the states with him. And while this is all going on in the background, the resistance guys are playing darts. Yeah, <laughs> playing darts. On the target symbol on the British airplane that's back there. Right. And then that's it. That's, that's literally it. You, you get the, the end away. from Casablanca, and that's the end of the movie. That is the end of the movie. Short and sweet. and 91 minutes. <laughs> it's very possible this review may actually be longer than the movie. It's quite possible, which her reputation precedes us. <laughs> and then some. And then some. But uh, but what about you, tens of listeners? What did you think of the movie? <laughs> have did you, you seen watch Top- it at all? Have you? Did you watch it at all? Have you ever seen Top Secret? Should you see Top Secret? I think you should. I think everybody should see Top Secret once. I I don't know if you should see it eleven times. I think if you're a teenage boy, you should watch this multiple times. Absolutely, because you will love it, <laughs> especially if it's on cable and there's nothing else to watch. That's right. But uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Please get in touch. If there's one thing that we consistently beat you over the head with is how much we like listener interaction. So uh, please get in touch with us either at email at CICDeadDrop at gmail.com, on Instagram at Central Intelligence Cinema, separated by underscores, or on Twitter at CIC Spy Pod, and many other social medias, which all of which I have links to at the bottom of the show description of every single episode we've ever put out. And uh, also, hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're having a lovely uh, post-holiday sit (laughs) or walk with your dog as you're listening to us, why not uh, take a brief moment and go to where you can give a glowing, sparkling five-star review, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, because that helps us show up when people search for silly things like us. Silly spy shit. Silly spy shit, indeed. But, uh... Any last thoughts, Jason? Glad we don't have to watch that one again. (laughs) Well, with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis. And more mayhem. And more mail. And more mail.